Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Laughter for All podcast. I'm comedian Nazareth. I'm very excited today to uh, have a guest that who has an impacted my life, impacted comedy and impacted Christian comedy at the same time. Uh, he is known as God's comic. Uh, Brad Stein's style has been described by Newsweek as conservative with a rat, ratat delivery and by the New Yorker as frantic, conservative and ADHD with echoes of Robin Williams, Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks, George Carlin and Alan Keyes. However, unlike these and a lot of other comedians, Stein does not use profanity or sexual humor because of his conservative Christian faith. He has been described as a clean Dennis Leary and his material targets liberals, humanists, uh, political, political correctness and judgmental Christians. Stein has claimed that his conservatism has sometimes resulted in the loss of appearances. Stein himself claims that much of his more extreme material is uh, facious and satire using ridiculous scenarios to make a finer point. Uh, he has appeared on A&E, Evening at the Improv, MTV, Half an Hour Comedy Hour, appeared on programs as Fox News, Hannity and Calms, CNN's Paula Zahn Now, Glenn Beck, NBC Nightly News, and he has been interviewed on NPR and featured on Fox News and Newsweek and The New Yorker, USA Today, and several other papers. He has been was a feature performer in Promise Keepers. He's done films like Welcome to Paradise, Sarah's Choice, Homeless for the Holidays, Christmas with a capital C, and Persecuted. But let me introduce him from my own life. This is a man, when I was a comedian in the world, I haven't met Jesus yet. This man said, Nazareth, you don't have to do dirty. You can be clean. Just, I mean, just simple words that really impacted me. And when I came to Christ, he was still a comedian doing the clubs, doing top clubs around the country, all clean. I mean, when other comedians, he was headlining, not just opening or middling. He was headlining, all clean, powerful, standing ovation every single show. Then God, and I want to hear how God moved him into uh, doing the Christian market. But he came into the Christian market, not as a comedian who just wanted to do comedy or clean, but he came because he had a message for the Christians. And he hit it so hard that everybody was shocked how how funny he is, because at the time it was like, you know, when you do comedy, you have to be careful. Uh, you know, the Christian audience will not accept this, will not accept that. And here comes Brad and boom, he hits promise keepers have him every single year to encourage. He's not only a comedian, he's a godly man and he is deserve the term God's comic. Please welcome to our podcast, Brad Stein. Brad, welcome. Nazareth, I, I, I was literally sitting there waiting to hear who you were introducing because I had no idea. I was like, this guy sounds really intriguing. I cannot wait to see who it is. And then I realized, oh, it's me. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's funny when you have somebody, when you've been around a while and you have somebody read your bio, you're like, wow, yeah, I guess I have done a couple things in my lifetime. So it's always uh, interesting to see what God has done in my life and the um, interesting adventures he's taken me on. And certainly... Uh, where my comedy started and where it's taken me was not anything I had anticipated, but uh, God uh, clearly has a purpose for everybody's life. And sometimes we don't even know what that is until he lets us know. So uh, here I am. So, but yeah, you know, you and I have known each other for many, many years. So uh, it's great to, to see you and I'm glad you're uh, doing well as, as well. And uh, you know, here I am. So just ask away. Of course, I'm not wearing pants. I never do uh, when I'm in the house. Uh, but that's just because I have a Quaker background. And, you know, as we that's all right. Quakers uh, disdain pants because they're too uh, worldly. That's right. And I agree with you. I love Quakers for that purpose only. They yeah. draw the line by the navel. And They've then... always made wonderful oats. Let's be fair. <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. When it comes to oats, I think Quakers... Well, I took that ball because I looked at him like with the other statuses and I just tilted that uh, that my Quaker, <laughs> you know, can. I just tilted it. I, you know, put it on the side. I'm like, I can't look at it right now. <laughs> no, you will never look at a Quaker the same way. <laughs> yeah. uh, so but uh, 
let's start with okay we were in a bible study together in california and then mm. all of a sudden you decide or i what i want to see what led you to go okay you were very successful in the clubs you're headlining you're sold out and now you decide to come to the christian market what 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 can you walk us through that decision well um you got to remember that I, I was running from the law. I was on a work release program. And so I had, <laughs> I had to escape uh, California because of the warrants. Uh, and so the moment I got rid of the, the ankle bracelet, I knew it was my time to make it. And this is my shot. Uh, I, I, I hid the, uh, the bracelet in Laurel Canyon. So that had them all off, off uh, run a wild goose case like, until I escaped. But you know, uh, Nazareth, I mean, you know, it's funny, you made an introduction about uh, um, you, when you and I first met and, and the way that you performed comedy at that time. And do you, I don't know if you even remember the first time we met, uh, but it was at a bowling alley, a comedy club in Westminster, and yes. uh, you were performing and, and, you know, you had language and whatever that I'm used, you know, most comics did at the time. And, but I remember we were talking a little bit and I thought you were, I think at that time you told me you had maybe just become a Christian or it was something that you were just experimenting with. But I remember you saying, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, being clean or whatever. And, and I've had, I had so many of those conversations uh, with comics over the years when I was working in the clubs because they would come up to me unsolicited. I never uh, went to them. And as you know, when you did a comedy club, there was an opener in the middle and, and, and the headliner. So the headliner could kind of rule the roost. So if he said, hey, I got an airplane joke, you got an airplane joke, so drop yours because I want to use mine. You can kind of do that. I never did. I felt like if I'm a headliner, I should be able to follow anybody. But right. um, I had a lot of guys that would say, you know, well, why are you clean? Or, you know, I've, I've thought about cleaning up my, almost like they were, I don't know if that, I don't want to say embarrassed, but maybe challenged because any comic knows that it's harder to write clean than it is to write dirty. It's just, that's just the fact of life, but you get to be more creative and you teach yourself to be more uh, sophisticated when you don't use the, the, the dirty language that becomes just a, basically a, a, a stock piece of material that gets a laugh, but you, it's just based on the, the the tenure of the of the of the word, so uh, I just remember that about you and that you were on this sort of spiritual journey. And I and I, I've had a few uh, comics that became Christians or were uh, that I met and ran into over those years. So I was in nightclubs, you know. I was at the like you said. I worked in the you know and tried my best to get into the best comedy clubs. So I was in the Funny Bones and the Improvs and the Laugh Stops and the uh, you know whatever. I don't even know what's around anymore. I don't do clubs much. But um, what happened was I I was doing. I was always a Christian, so I never used curse words that when I was doing clubs, because I believe creativity is funnier than crude. And so uh, to me, it was a fun game to try to figure out how to be just as funny and not use language. And I do think that's part of why my energetic style kind of began to form. I was trying to find other ways to compete uh, with the F word, because it's hard to get into a room when they've really, the guy before you just turned it really into that kind of a style. And then you're coming in clean, you got to kind of back up a little bit and reverse gears and try to say, here's how I'm going to do it. So right. I, uh, I found myself just trying to be funny. That's hard enough. And suddenly I would see uh, this, this resurgence or this new, not resurgence, but this new uh, focus on the political realm in America and what they would say at that time, liberal and conservative. And of course, liberal has become progressive and now progressive has become leftist. So they've really continued to move and move and move whereas conservatism is exactly what it means. Exactly. It's serve the foundations of, uh, of, of a foundation that uh, of a culture. So uh, I would watch all these artists. That's what really bothered me. I had these wonderful artists that I respected we had a different point of view, a different way of seeing the world, but they were always left leaning. And I thought to myself, and that's kind of, that's fine. I'm a conservative. I believe in the first amendment, freedom of speech, believe whatever you want. What bothered me 
was I felt like they were, they were presupposing that to be a true artist, to be really edgy or, or sophisticated or nuanced or unique or valuable or, or have something to contribute, um, you have to think like this. And the whole, to me, that's the antithesis of performance arts. The thing about art is we all have sort of different ways to see things and we're trying to see how can we take our take and make it interesting to people. So to me, it should be even more open-minded and it should be even more free thinking, which has become a term hijacked by the left or atheists. And to me, free thinking means whatever you come up with, as long as you use it well, you know, just because you have a free speech doesn't mean your speech has value. It can be crude. It can be hurtful. It can be something that attacks people. It's free speech, but it doesn't mean it has value and it doesn't mean that it's healthy. Um, right. So to me, why not make it, uh, why not be able to come in as an artist and say, I happen to believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that in the human history, it's the only a human being that was ever recorded to do the things that he did by actual people, not some mythology. He wasn't Thor or Zeus. He wasn't somebody that nobody had ever seen. Here's a guy that watched, uh, did a miraculous things that people saw to prove he had uh, control over nature. Here's a guy that came about in, in a way that was impossible uh, and was predicted thousands of years in prophecy to prove that he was not part of linear time. Here was a guy that said he was God and, and, and then miraculous things to prove it, not so that he wasn't a cult leader. Here was a guy that said he was going to die and come back from, from the dead and did and people saw it. So there has never been anything like that. So if you believe the, this story, God has been here. The, the, the big question that everybody asks, you know, is God out there? Is he real? Yeah. And he proved it. And he, and he wrote it down in a book. So that to me was this, the ultimate story that needed to be discussed. Well, that was the deepest part of who I was. I'm a Christ follower. Consequently, I became more connected to the conservative movement. And again, I'm not trying to politicize Jesus, believe it or not. <laughs> right. He loves Democrats. Jesus loves Democrats. He loves atheists. He loves everybody. He really does. But to love somebody doesn't mean that you don't hold them accountable for the behavior. To love somebody doesn't mean you don't have perimeters that you expect them to be part of, especially God, since he gets to make the rules. But here I was with this conservative value as in, you know, honoring, um, uh, you know, your your parents uh, to 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 be respectful of your flag and of, of your culture because it's given you freedom and liberty uh, that a lot of, of, of nations don't have. You're from the Middle East. You know the difference between what it's like to live in, a, in, in that area of the world and in this area. Um, so I just said to myself, you don't get to co-opt the performance arts uh, and decide that they only think like this. I don't. My, I grew up in or was born in a little state of Indiana. My grandparents were farmers. So I was about as blue collar as it gets, uh, lower middle class. Uh, I was conservative, patriotic Christian. And I decided, forget these guys. I'm going to come out. <laughs> And say, this is what I am. And let's see just how open-minded these people actually are. Little did I know the, the, the dam breaking this was going to create because suddenly there were these millions of Americans who said, finally, there's a comic. Because comedy, they all thought, meant you had to be dirty and you had to do sex jokes because that's all they were ever seeing. Suddenly, here's a comic that's dignifying my faith, dignifying my patriotism, dignifying my nation, dignifying my uh, uh, values, dignifying my family. He's just as funny as them, and he's on my side. So suddenly, they had a champion. They had somebody that they could feel comfortable with and to bring a non-believer or maybe a more progressive or leftist thinker, and they could still laugh, too. So that was kind of what happened. I didn't know it was going to be take on a life of its own. I didn't know, you know, uh, that the New Yorker was going to make an article about me and that that was somehow newsworthy, that a Christian could be funny or that a conservative could be funny. But that's their take. And it gave me a whole different status because it's such a powerful magazine. Yeah. And it opened up mainstream television and so forth and so on. And next thing I know, um, 
I was God's comic because that's what uh, the New Yorker in their online edition, when they first launched it, they had an online and paper division, uh, obviously, and it said God's comic. So that's where the title came from, from a left-leaning <laughs> magazine. And how did, yeah, go ahead. How, how did the Christian market receive you? Because I remember when, you know, I know you were still doing clubs. I was in the Christian market myself and being, I was being very careful about, because I knew not everything you can do in the clubs clean, you can do in the church clean, not because the material is different. It's just the church was at the time, it's like, oh, you gotta be, you, you gotta walk, uh, you know, a sh the boundaries how how did they receive you because you came and boom you were like a a hurricane that hit the christian market well okay so you know i the reason i even found out about this uh christian market and again i was a christian my whole life um but there was a there was a a, a booking agency in california in southern california back then that was booking just clean comedians. That's all they booked. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, well, wow, here's another revenue stream for me. Uh, I'm clean. So I don't have to clean up my act. As you remember back in the day, we've been around long enough where Carson was still on TV and, and, and uh, comedians would talk about having their tonight show set, which was a set you had to clean up and have it TV ready to be able to do it. Because at that time you, you weren't allowed to use the language. So I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to clean anything up because I already cleaned. I was already Christian. So I knew what my people are like and how they think. I was in Southern California, which is probably a little more open to you being a little out of the box than Iowa might've been at that time or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they were bringing me into churches. They said, there's a, there are churches that are doing comedy. And I said, I never heard of that. I grew up in the church. I never saw a comic in my life in the church. And I said, well, I'm going to go do these folks. And I started it and they were receiving it incredibly well because I feel like, and here was my take. And I don't know. I mean, I'm only going to describe it based on my journey. I don't want it to sound patronizing, but here was the deal. I grew up in the church, but I was a performance artist. I was a professional magician first. I was, then I became a professional comedian. So I was in that world, in the high echelons of it, working in the top clubs and so forth. But I was a Christian and I felt like so much of Christian entertainment was cheesy. It was, it was, not sophisticated. It was embarrassing to me. I felt like we should be raising the bar. We should have the best of everything. Best singers, best dancers, best comedians, best magicians, whatever your thing is, the best. Because we believe the, the, that the creation creator of the universe is our father. How are we not bringing that to the arts? And so I, um, I, I, I remember telling God in prayer, I said, God, you're calling me to the churches. I thought you wanted, you know, clean comedy in the nightclubs because they're the ones that didn't know. I, I don't, I don't need to sell clean comedy to Christians. They already bought it. I, they're the, the, the secular guys, not the one that didn't know clean could be great. And God said a few things to me. Number one, I didn't ask you where to go. I asked you, will you go? You said you'll go. So shut up. It's none of your business where I send you. Right. You're going and you're going to churches. And then I said, well, God, I'll go wherever you send me. And I literally said this prayer. Now, but I don't want to dumb it down. I, 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 I want to see comedy in a church as a Christian, the way I would want to see it. And God said to me, why do you think I trained you in nightclubs? I want you to bring this style of comedy to my people because in the future, my people are going to have to renew their minds to receive and appreciate the different flavors that I'm going to have to use to communicate to the church in the future because America is going to be changing. Well, little did I know what that change was going to be, but I believe in retrospect because at the time that I started, there was only a handful of Christian comics and they were more church 
type comics, funny comics, great comics, but they weren't in clubs. They weren't doing that style of humor. Nobody had ever really done that. There certainly had never been an edgy Christian comic. That's for sure. And, um, I, I said, I want to dumb it down. God said, I trained you to bring this flavor to the masses and, and that, uh, not only was received, but clearly it was a calling. This is the thing, Nazareth, to any Christian watching this. I don't know who watches your podcast, if it's mainly to Christians, maybe not. Obviously, you might reach everybody. Maybe just comedy fans, I don't know. But to a Christian, uh, you do have a specific role in your life that God is going to use you for, and you better be prepared for it. Because I'll tell you something, brother, I ran. I did not want to be in ministry. I wanted to be a comedian who was a Christian. I used to do that every time when I started out in the club, in the churches. I would say at 45 minutes into it. Well, um, you know, I hope you enjoyed that. But if there's one thing I want you to, to know when, when you leave, it's this. I am not a Christian comedian. And people, what have, have we been duped? Is, have we laughed at a Buddhist? You know, and then I'd say no. I am a comedian that happens to be a Christian. I thought it was important to say, let's not label everything Christian, this Christian, that Christian plumber, Christian, whatever. I used to say that because I felt like let's not label, let's just be good enough without having to add the, you know, Christian, you know, preface. But God called me to more. He, you know, in this far down my journey, Nazareth, I now know I am a missionary to America and I'm a prophet to the church. And you wake up on the beach in whale vomit enough times. And you know what you say? Maybe I'll head to Nineveh because you're called for something. And if you don't go, you can you can travel all the rabbit trails you want. But I guarantee you. God's not going to let you do that. He called you. You gave you your life to him. He has a purpose for you. And if you want to run him up, be my guest. But you're going to be miserable until you get on the trail to the journey that he has called you to. And that's why I had you this week in this time, because um, as comedians, we are sick and tired of the political correctness and what people want to control what to say and what not to say. And I just want to I want to look I, I just. You know, this will explain uh, why you are so qualified to talk about this. Your your albums, since you came to the Christian market, put a helmet on. It was uh, Brad Stein, Conservative Unleashed, Tolerate This, Wussification, and then you had God's Comic. And so and now your your new album is is out now. It's called uh, Unapologetic. So Unapologetic. Yes. Let's let's talk about this, because right now I came from the Middle East and in the Middle East, you have no freedom of speech and you don't have a freedom of speech because, you know, if you say something that doesn't please the government or that please the authority, uh, you you will be taken and nobody will know where you are. Your family won't even know. They will never see you again. But you come to this country and I came in in 84 where it was freedom to say whatever you want. And slowly you start seeing lately there's people with no credibility just because uh, they have social media, inf- they're influencer because they can twerk or they can dance. And and now uh, you are being attacked. We're all being attacked for whatever freedom we have to say whatever we want. And you get now in our this last few months where you, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't do that. What are your take on this? Because every comic, including secular liberal comedians are mad at this give you know what i'm unleashing you right now go ahead well i mean and that's the irony in nazareth and and yet it's a beautiful irony because if you guys i know you know my show but uh maybe a lot of your listeners don't i don't know but i never presume people know who i am but if they do uh or if you want to go find me on youtube uh, or my facebook page so you can share that yeah yeah so just They'll know what I do and get a feel for it. You know, my 
my take, my fight, my, my uh, commitment to exposing political correctness, which is cultural Marxism, uh, uh, started uh, you know, in the late 90s. And my first album that, uh, that got no, I did have one album before that that most people don't know about that I didn't when I was in California and it was called um, Rebel Without a Curse. Uh, yeah. That's the old one that only came out in video. But when I started really getting known in the Christian community, it was with Put a Helmet On. It's probably still my most famous album. And um, so that was 18 years ago. I was warning America, political correctness is going to kill us because it, it censors dissent. It, it causes you to self-censor. It causes you to lose your freedom and your liberties. It tells you uh, how you can think, how you can feel, how you can speak, how you can worship, how you can, can go about your life. It is cultural Marxism. It's why I studied this. It came from the Frankfurt School in the late 20s in, in, by uh, Marxist intellectuals in, in Germany uh, who uh, wondered why uh, uh, Marxism uh, wasn't taking over in Europe and why the uh, uh, proletariat were not rising up against the bourgeois. It was not working. It was an economic system that failed. Socialism has always failed. Uh, and so they said, what if we turned it into a cultural movement? So instead of uh, the bourgeois being the owners of produce and owning the, the companies and the proletariat is the, is, the, is the poor working class that does all the work but doesn't get paid uh, properly, let's turn that into systems of communities of groups by which they can be the oppressed and the oppressors. So the oppressor is the person who is uh, has the most privilege, if you've heard that word, the person that has had the most uh, access to education, the most access to uh, uh, finances, the best access to free uh, uh, enterprise, the most access to free uh, uh, property, because you cannot have a free country if you do not have private property. And so um, those people, whoever they are, and forget the fact that they were the guys that came and invented the country. They came, they invented, here's our rules, here's what we're going to do. If you don't like it, go find a country, make your own, start from scratch, do whatever you want. Here's what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to honor God. The pilgrims came over and said, we're going to go and get away from religious persecution. We're going to honor Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. We're going to have a culture where we don't have to be told how we can think and believe. And that started with religious conviction, but it turned into, out of the Magna Carta, by the way, the freedom uh, to, uh, to, to, as a free man can think, and even the king can't usurp his, his uh, authority over his freedom. Right. So this came from England, but then it, we turned it into uh, a First Amendment right and our constitution, which gave us our Bill of Rights, which is comes from, by the way, uh, an attribute from our Declaration of Independence, which is very specific, our rights do not come from man. They do not come from government. They do not come from the state. They come from God. God. Why? Because if it comes from God, men can't change it. So that's why this matters to me, political correctness. People think, and you see this all the time, Nazareth, those who are not religious people, uh, political correctness is a secular religion. Make no mistake. It, because everybody needs God. We got, we're designed to worship God. If you don't believe in him, you will replace where God belongs with a counterfeit, with an idol. In this case, it's the state. The state has to rule you. Somebody has to have control. Tell us what the boundaries are, what we're allowed to say, think, and do. When the state takes over, of course, the state is ruled by humans, self-appointed humans who believe they're superior to everybody else. And they get to make rules that they don't have to follow, but you do because they're smarter than you. So if they decide that you have to wear a mask, you're going to wear a stinking mask because they tell you, you got to stay six feet apart. You got to. If we tell you, you got to shut down your business, you're going to do it. Doesn't matter if the data over time changes and we find out that by far the most of the people that will get this sickness uh, are going to be fine, that we see it all the time. 107 new cases have just appeared. And people look at that like 107 new people died today. No, they just got the flu. Most of them didn't know it. Most of them got better. Maybe zero point some percent might have died. Most of those are in nursing homes or had a precondition. It's terrible. It's terrible if they died and you lost a loved one. This is in no way trying to diminish that. Right. But Ruth is, they're going to die. People are going to die every year from flu viruses and from sicknesses and from heart disease. So they've turned it into something it really isn't. This isn't the Black Plague. This isn't the thing where most people get it. 90, uh, you know, whatever it would be, 40 to 60% will die. If people are dying in the streets, nobody would be having an issue. That's not what's happened. 
And instead, there's been this usurping of freedom in, in, and then you're shamed if you don't go along with it. 12 states never shut down. They're doing fine. They do not have any worse. Matter of fact, they have less deaths and less problems. So we already have data, scientific data. But remember, political correctness teaches us that data and science is great unless it conflicts with your feelings. The moment it conflicts with the way you feel or how you identify or how you want to present yourself to the world, the moment it does that, it has to be disbanded and abandoned. And I get to create my own reality. And you do, by the way. I'm a First Amendment. I'm a conservative kind of libertarian. You live in a country that gives you the freedom to live in a fantasy if you want to. Right. You do not have the freedom to force me to live there with you. That's where my liberties are uh, destroyed. And that's where it's not fair. So, so with all great lies, there's just an inkling of truth there to confuse people as to what the ultimate motivation is. So if uh, people are being oppressed, I don't know of anybody that's for that. I don't know of anybody that wants to persecute people or, or harm other people. As a Christian, my faith is the one that first taught people that there's no male, female, there's no bond or free, there's no Jew or Gentile. My faith was the one that says that you are a child of God, that if you are a child, you're made in the image of God and you shouldn't be aborted. My people, Christians, were the ones that took, took the Roman children that were left to die on the sides of the street or were thrown into latrines, and we took them in. My people are the ones that walked into the Renaissance Middle Ages during the Black Plague and tended to people, even though they were not our kin, and we died to do it because we believed in hospitality hospitals were created by my people. University were created by my people. The lineage of Christianity coming in and helping the helpless is my people's legacy. So you don't have to tell me jack about loving people and caring about everybody and all people are equal because my people based on Jesus Christ, God Almighty invented it. Amen. So I don't have permission to, to wax eloquent about your deep virtue because you, you're just stealing it from Christianity. So what I'm trying to get at is you're not giving credit to the creator of all things who gave us these rights and told us why we are valuable. So when you try to take a godly sacred idea and let a human corrupt, sinful human run it, it will become parasitical. It will take something beautiful and it will suck the life out of it and leave a hollow shell and then think that somehow it's still going to work because we don't need God. And that abandonment of the sacred and that abandonment of realizing that without God, we will not stand as a people is exactly why America is self-destructing. And if we do not have a third great awakening and if churches, I'm not talking to the unbelievers. I'm talking to churchgoers. If you are not ready to be fully committed to Jesus Christ and live that sacred faith on high, as you walk to the, through the store, as you go to your neighbor, as you go to your business, if you're not ready to live that life, you will not be free anymore. I promise that's what's coming to America. But until then, let's fight like men and women, warriors. Love people. I'm not saying go out and shoot people. I'm not allowed to coerce people to my faith. But if you don't study it, show yourself approved unto God and understand the ramifications of your faith and bring that to the culture, you should be ashamed, says the Bible. You should be ashamed because God gave you the sacred text and you have not learned it, hid it in your heart and presented it to those who are in desperate need. And let's face it, all this writing is what? What is, what is anger? pain internalized. We've given them a culture that says life has no meaning. You have no purpose. You have no soul. And when you die, you turn into worm food. Well, no wonder people are anarchists. They've been told that they aren't valuable. And Jesus Christ says you are ultimately valuable. Amen. Let, let me play devil's advocate. Uh, just a question. Okay. Yeah. Let's say I am protesting on the street. I go, well, listen, listen, Brad Stein, the church during uh, the slavery time, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. Uh, you know, so uh, where where's Jesus in this? 
why didn't why didn't the church do anything why why didn't church why is the sunday morning is the most segregated hour in you know it was told i think billy graham who said that the most segregated hours in our time what what do you tell someone like that someone who said oh it was the christians who who you know uh it's white christianity they're gonna say that what do you say to that well first off where are you from me yeah i'm from the holy land yeah you're from the holy land so would you say you probably are more connected to jesus as far as from a nationality standpoint or genetically as far as the middle eastern appearance than me yes yeah so would you say jesus looks more like me or you if we had to just throw up just figure it out i was just sharing that with, yeah i think he's more like me because he's probably he's middle eastern he has darker hair he he, I was reading a whole study about that, how some people will feel more comfortable having Jesus look African-American or Chinese or, uh, or sometimes in Europe, they didn't want him to look Jewish. So they put, made him blue eyes and all that. But yeah, Jesus looked normal, uh, Middle Eastern look. All right. So my point is simply this, is first off, Jesus was Jewish and from the Middle East. So he probably was more your, t- your skin tone or, or maybe even darker. They were outside a lot, right? Um, probably darker hair, whatever. Who cares? See, this is the problem is that, that humans were the ones that decide to distinguish fellow humans and decide. Now, you realize a lot of this is Darwinism, by the way. Darwinism was a, Darwin was a racist, and he believed that uh, Africans were subhuman. He believed Aborigines were subhuman. They would capture Aborigines and put them in zoos. I mean, this is how they saw the world, because they didn't believe in God. They believed this all happened naturally, and that we are different stages of humanity, and, and darker-skinned people were subhuman. This is Darwinism. This is Margaret Sanger, by the way, who bought into that, and she's the one that started Planned Parenthood. So there you have that. So if you're into Planned Parenthood, you believe in a someone who thought that blacks should be eliminated from the face of the earth. So that's the kind of world we're living in when humans get involved. Okay, so here's the thing about Jesus. He had to show up uh, as a human, right? I mean, that's the way he um, chose to. wanted to, to uh, how God chose to do whatever he wants. He's God, he can do everyone. He chose to do it a couple thousand years ago. He chose the Jewish race uh, to, uh, or, you know, how are you in tribes? And he put them uh, there. And uh, as as the the conduit to where his his uh, salvation was going to come from, so he had these thousands of years of the patriarchs telling him about this Messiah that's going to come, so he could show a lineage of people and show that this is legit. Um, and so, you know, then the New Testament comes. We have this new revelation of who God is and what He's done and what He's accomplished, right? And that's when we get the New Testament that stated there's no Jew and Gentile. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're, there is no, uh, that we're not supposed to respect our uh, heritage? No, just the opposite. Uh, we are, we're supposed to respect our heritage. If you're a black American, you should never forget the, the difficulty your, your ancestors went through and be grateful that they were strong and, and, and overcame this. Be grateful. But if you identify by your genetics, God says, that isn't what I want from you. You are a child of God. So there's no Jew and Gentile. You can be respectful of it, but that's not your identity. You're a child of God. You know what that means? We're both equal. There's no male or female. Oh, does that mean there's no gender? No. It means that you clearly are unique. Men and women are so different that only when they come together can a new human be formed. So we're completely different. But when you come to Christ, he says, be honorable of your of your masculinity. Be honorable of your fem, fem, femininity. Take care of your your female uh, uh, wife. Wife, take care of your uh, male husband. But you don't identify that. That's not the crux of who you are. Your child of God. And there's no bond or free. There's no class system in God's system. If you happen to be rich, be grateful and give, because who much is given, much will be respected. If you happen to be poor then be grateful that God is still loves you. Do not be covetous of those things that others have because God makes it rain on the on the sinners and the non-sinners. It's not your business. God's sovereign does what he wants, okay? And you should just be the best you can with what you have. Now, notice, by the way, because some people said, well, you know, Christians would use the Bible uh, to condone slavery because the Bible condones slavery. 
Slavery during the biblical times was essentially indentured servitude. People sold themselves to someone to pay off a debt, to cover their, their, uh, their bills because they, they had a family they couldn't afford. So it really was like just hiring yourself out like a butler or a, you know, a gardener or whatever mm-hmm. that was. And so that's why God said, be kind to them. Don't treat them bad just because that you got more money and they had to sell their services to you. Be kind to them. Treat them with respect. In Philemon, uh, a slave escaped from the guy and Paul said, hey, let him go. Okay. They were trying to give the dignity to all people back then. But the thing is, the culture already had slavery. So what the Bible was trying to do was deal with the culture and the sin that we had created by having slaves. And he was trying to say how to dignify these people, not see yourself as better. So the Bible 2000 years ago had a cure for Black Lives Matter for the LGBTQ, for, you know, uh, women's rights, for, you know, whatever. There was a cure for that a long time ago. We are all made in the image of God. And if we make him more important, then we're equal because we all come from the same father. We all are from the same lineage. So we're all in the same family. So I'm not going to look at my brother as less than me because we're related. And we are responsible to the dictates of the father. If he says, here's how you're supposed to behave, we're responsible for that. If he says, if you do this, this is going to happen to you. That's the rules. He made the rules. So I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm doing the best I can. I suck at being a Christian. Okay. I'm doing the best I can. But God gave us certain rules and parameters. And he said, if you don't follow them, it's going to cost you. Okay. So when they say that the church wasn't rising up uh, during slave trade. Are you talking about William Wilberforce, who spent 30 years in parliament trying to stop the African slave trade and spent every year when he was told, you're crazy, this makes us money, it's part of the human condition. Let's make that very clear, by the way. You, uh, America didn't invent slavery. It's been around since the beginning of time and everybody's had a turn. Everybody's had a turn. By the way, did you know more white slaves were imported into North Africa uh, even after the black slave trade ended from Africa than ever were, than blacks were ever brought in the United States? Do you know that? The Irish and the English and, and numerous other whites were brought in as slaves. Everybody's been a slave. Just read history. Okay. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it. It's undignified. It's evil. But everybody's had a turn. So here comes William Wilberforce saying this needs to stop. And by the way, when he started that 30 years, uh, the first beginning in Parliament, everybody was against him for the most part. In other words, he was on the wrong side of history. And he persevered. And just days before he died, they came to his house and said, it, they passed it. There's no more slave trade is, is allowed. The Quakers, we joked about them earlier. Quakers uh, were one of the group, group biggest ab- abolitionists and advocates against slavery. Many churches spoke out against slavery. And during the Civil War, many whites were against slavery. And even guys like John Brown went about trying to free them, getting slaves and taking arms up and going out and slaughtering folks to try to free the slaves. He ended up being hung for it. But my point is, and let's make another thing very clear, by the way. The founding fathers knew that slavery was wrong. They knew it from the get-go because they said, we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal, that they are uh, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, amongst which are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. They all knew that the slavery isn't working. And they all said, we're going to have to deal with this. They didn't do anything about it right off the bat. You know why? They were trying to make a nation. Is that right? Is that good? No. Nope. It was sinful. It was sinful. But they were sitting there just trying to be pragmatists and saying, okay, well, let's just, over time, we'll figure this out and we'll try to make it go. But they knew that it was wrong and sinful. But it was the world that they kind of inhabited at the time that they tried to create the U.S., right? And so... They uh, began this, this idea of how do we help these people out of these bonds. Civil War became a real fight over the idea that we can't, this nation isn't going to survive like this. And that began the Emancipation Proclamation and the death of thousands and thousands of white soldiers who fought for freedom for Black. That's just, that happened. And here's the thing. At the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, at the time of slavery being revoked, women weren't allowed to vote. Blacks 
clearly weren't allowed to vote. The only people that could vote at that time were white males. You know what they voted? No more slavery. So if you wanna say that there were whites that had slaves, you're right. There was also blacks that had slaves. Some of the first largest holders of slaves in the, uh, in the United States in the early 1800s were blacks that held slaves. Um, but if you wanna say that, that there's a, there was a history in the United States of, of white slave owners, you're absolutely right, there were. But <laughs> there was also equal amount of whites who saw it was evil and died trying to eliminate it. So all I'm asking you is this, if you wanna bring up that this is a bad stain on our country and that it carried over, and even when they were emancipated, they weren't educated, they didn't know how to move forward and have a pr productive life. And then we had certain areas of the South that didn't let them to go to school, and had Jim Crow laws, all that is true. Evil, evil stain on America, no question about it. But why don't they ever say, but what about these white people that did good things? So here's the problem, Nazareth. The moment you add a skin color, it's racist. I don't care if you say black or white because it literally is referencing a race. What we have to talk about if we actually care about reality and truth are ideas. Skin color has never oppressed anybody in history. Skin color has never been a slave. Ideas have enslaved people and have helped people become slaves. Philosophies, lies, not understanding that God said that all humans are made in his image. Lies that stated that some humans are less valuable than others. Lies that made some people think they were superior to others. Lies of Darwinism that said that well, there is no God, we weren't created, this happened by accident, and there are some stages of human development that are subhuman and need to be eliminated. Lies that became part of even Hitler's idea of the super race and the atheism that caused more death and destruction in the 20th century than every war combined up until that time in history based on lies that there is no God, humans get to make the rules and we will eliminate anybody that does not bow the knee to the state. This is our enemy. I feel nothing but compassion for any black person that's ever suffered from injustice and racism. I, I would love to help him if I can. I'm just one guy. I don't believe anybody should ever have to suffer those things. But I'm also a Christ Amen. follower. So I know that sin exists on this earth. And we need as Christians to come together and try to find that unity and do the best we can. But let's also not pretend that one group of people are more evil than others or are somehow more sinful because God says we are all equal under the law and we're all sinners and we all need repentance. That's mm. the truth of Christianity that we don't want to hear people speak about in America anymore because they want to create victims so they can control them. It's patronizing and it needs to stop. Amen. Amen. And I want to remind our fans and listeners that Brad does all this in his show with comedy. While you're laughing hard, you're listening. But when we're comedians that we're not on stage, we're very serious people. And we, we always like, I have a conversation with Brad where he encouraged me and we talk about issues. And we talk, you know, for hours. Now, now where's where's Brad right now in the pandemic? What are you, what what's going on in your life right now with you and Desiree, Wyatt, and uh what Macy? Yeah, I had my uh, lungs laminated two weeks ago. Uh, so I what? had my lung, lungs laminated. You know, <laughs> that way it was easy. I didn't have to wear a mask. I just took care of that. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, but, you know, I listen, uh, brother, I'm exactly where everybody else was. I was living my life, had my shows, trying to build my ministry. I'm a ministry now, by the way. I mean, when I told you God was serious, uh, I became a 501c3. I know you are as well. I became a ministry. God said, I want you to draw a line in the sand and say, yes, you'll always be a comic. Yes, you'll always be a communicator through humor. You might do it through television. You might do it through film. You might do it through live comedy. You might do it through a documentary. You might do it through a book. You might do it through whatever means that, that I call you to use your ideas and your passion for, for people and, and Christianity. But um, Whatever uh, that is, uh, it got disrupted, like all of us. 
Suddenly they just took all of our jobs. I mean, the one thing that the live performer, the performance artist needs uh, is humans being able to sit next to each other and be in communion. It's why it's it's so devastating. Not only has people's lives been destroyed, not only has people's bank accounts been wiped out, not only have people lost their jobs, their businesses, their homes. So that's bad enough. We lost community. We lost the ability to be in 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 closeness with each other. And and God designed us to be in community. So this is evil. This is Satan just disrupting and dis, in 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 trying to uh, just create chaos and havoc because that's all he's got. So I lost gigs like I'm sure you did. Some of them, you know, let's move them to the fall. Hopefully that if things will be back to some kind of normal by then, I don't know. But um, what it has taught me is either God is who he says he is or he isn't. Either you're going to trust him or you're not. And it's not hard to trust God when things are good. I don't have to teach you how to be upbeat and optimistic when you're happy. The power of Christianity is to teach you to be upbeat and optimistic when everything is falling apart. If you can do that, you have given some human being the gift that we're all desperately seeking for. Because Nazareth, when somebody goes and does drugs or gets drunk, or has sex, or tries to make money, or have a bigger house, or have a bigger fame, or have more prestige. And when everybody constantly gets on this deep, deep commitment to try to get more and more and more, it never is enough, but they get more and more and more. You know what they're really trying to find? Peace. Because they don't have it. And peace will never, ever come in stuff it doesn't mm-hmm. stuff comes and goes and you know what else god taught me nazareth mm-hmm. pray that god will help you financially or, or or physically if you're struggling or whatever and god taught me something amazing he said the peace i want you to learn the peace is not in the answer to the prayer that's not the peace mm-hmm. Be grateful for the answer to the prayer. But if your peace is not in me, if your peace is not that I'm present, if your peace is not in the fact that no matter what, I stand with God, if that's not where your peace is, even your answer to your prayer isn't going to be enough. The peace is not in the prayer. The peace is, is is in his presence. And that's what we have to understand. If you are taking your Christianity seriously, it's a discipline. It's where you get the word disciple. It's hard. It's not easy. And it's why I believe that a vast majority of churchgoers in America aren't, aren't Christ followers. Because the moment it gets hard, they abandon or they compromise, or they become heretical just to fit in. And that isn't Christianity. And that's what's happening in America right now. God is weeding out the posers and trying to find those who are truly ready to die for him. Amen, amen. Tell us about uh, Brad Stein has issues, your your little segments on YouTube that you do. Well, I had a guy that was interested in doing like a podcast with me like you're doing and and i told him i said you know i don't want to do a podcast and the reason i don't want to do one is because they're really hard they take a lot of time you have to be committed to it and it takes forever usually to build up enough audience for it to be valuable and monetized because you can't do it for free and i felt like i don't know if i can't i gotta work i go off on the road and go perform in some way i make a a income so i don't think this is going to work and then I said to the guy, eventually, I said, I'll tell you what, if you, if you'll do this, if you will film it instead of just, you know, doing it now, I wasn't even thinking about Zoom like you do or Facebook Live at that time. So if you'll film it so I can put it out on social media and do it kind of like a daily show, kind of like that, like Bill Maher meets Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that where there's some humor, but it stands for something because people that know my comedy, like you said, they know that I've always used Christian worldview as the social commentary. Well, nobody else, no other, to this day, no Christian comedy does that. Yeah. 
I assume that God was real and that he reveals himself in his word and that I bring that into my comedy as the way I see the world and the way I view culture. So the problem is, it's not a problem, but I'm there as a comic to bring laughter. So the emphasis can't be on preaching or teaching because I'm there to bring laughter. I can do a little moment, little bullet points, Right. But I have to really have the majority is funny. So, but if I do, Brad Stein has issues. If I have a time when I can really try to break down ideas at a deeper level, I'll do that because I feel like God wants me to do that. So I, we created this idea, Brad Stein has issues. Uh, and I'll give props. Uh, that I mean, It's a great name. Everybody loves a name. I didn't come up with it. You know who came up with that name? Ooh. Thor. Thor Ramsey. Ramsey came up with that because uh, him and I were going to try to do it together and then it kind of didn't pan out, but he came up with the idea. And so I give him credit for that. It's a great, great name. But um, so I wanted to just see if I could go deeper because I have a deep love of philosophy, logic, reason, and apologetics. So I even Where create... can people watch that? Where can they watch that? Okay. So if you go to YouTube, it's called Brad Stein has issues. You go subscribe. The reason you subscribe doesn't cost you anything, but it allows me to build up enough viewers to where you can try to make some money. And I don't know why Christians have this idea that we're supposed to go do these things and study these things and put ourselves out there, but we're supposed to do it for free. For free yeah. They do everything. They get paid every time they go to work. Nobody asks you to go work for free. Well, if your calling is to deliver the word of God, the Bible says you're supposed to get paid. So, uh, you know, if you want, if what I do, let me put it to you like this. If what I do is valuable, if it is anointed, if it helps you, if it gives you solace, if it teaches you, if it inspires you, if you believe the world should see these things, if you believe that, then God would say, then do what you can to help. Throw in a few bucks. I'm a 501c3. It's a write-off. Give the guy 10 bucks, five bucks. Become a regular supporter. I'm sure you try to get the same thing. If you do that, guess what I get to do? I get to do more of these. I get to to, to exponentially add more to the atmosphere and try to fight for God's word in a unique way because there's nobody like me. Doesn't mean I'm better. Doesn't mean I'm funnier. It just means I have one thumbprint that only I have and you don't. And I'm called to deliver that message the way I do it, just like you do it the way you are. So go to Brad Sun Has Issue and subscribe. Go to my Facebook fan page, like it and follow it so that it shows the world that there's value to this guy. So maybe he should be paid attention to. This isn't for my ego. This is pragmatic pragmatism. Right. Not right. for my strategize. Now, tell us about the cruise coming up next uh, Valentine 2021. Yeah. I think people want to get back to normal, and it sounds yeah. great. <laughs> That's for sure. So um, I had a guy reach out to me and said, would you want to host a cruise? And I said, well, I, what, what do you mean? He goes, you just, I think people want to come to meet you. You have a lot of fans. People want to come out and, and, and meet you. And once again, I said to him, I will not go do this if it's just for people to meet me. Because number one, I don't know that I'm that interesting. I don't know that <laughs> many people would want to. But even if they did, uh, that doesn't interest me. I, if I can go and teach on political correctness so I can inform Christians about this so they can teach their children and go back and be more informed Christians uh, and Americans. If I can do some comedy and show what comedy looks like when it's not politically correct, not to shock people, but to show what freedom's supposed to look like and feel like. It's not offensive. It's part of what makes comedy great. The ability to push and poke holes in culture and society so that you get to release the tension. That's what comedy's for. It's why it's so crucial right. that we don't lose that. It's why John Cleese and Ricky Gervais Atheists, for crying out loud, are now saying we're sick of political correctness. Christians should be sounding that alarm. I've been doing it for 25 years. So the cruise is that. It's with a friend of mine, Rick Green, who teaches on the Constitution. He's with Wall Builders, David Barton's ministry about the Christian heritage of America. So he's going to be on it. So we're going to do the God Experience, which is my apologetics show with magic. It's the, my comedy, so you can see what my comedy is live. Most of my fans have never seen me live. It teaches on political correctness. It teaches on the Constitution. It talks about, are the founding fathers racist? What was slavery all about? Is there systemic racism? And you're also going to the Caribbean. <laughs> for seven days right. you get to go see some beautiful things but you're going to be with like-minded christians like-minded americans to inform yourself but get away from all this covid crap and get away from all this um this tension relax see god's beauty and his glory but learn and come back a 
inspired to reinvigorate and go back into culture and be Christians and Americans back in society. Somebody's got to fight back against what's happening in America. And it's got to be people that are educated. So it's uh, next July, uh, February, February 14th. 14th. Uh, Norwegian cruise that leaves out of New Orleans, Louisiana, and we're going to be there seven days. We're going to see a beautiful thing. Go to bradstein.com and you can click on it and get all the information. If you want to buy it, go there. You can bring your kids. You can go buy it. If you're a single person, you can go, but we only can have room for 75 couples and it just got launched today. So it's already starting to fill up. But anyways, if that's something that is of interest of you and you've never been a cruise, what a perfect time to do it on Valentine's day, but also, uh, to get well informed about America and Christianity. So, I was on the Aquila Lara, the last cruise I was on, but hey, <laughs> that didn't end up well. But yeah. thank you, Brad, oh. so much. Thank you so much for your time. This is uh, this is educational. This is informational. This is amazing. And I pray that people who didn't know who you are, which I doubt it, I that would go and would watch that Brad Stein has issues, would go to your site, would go on the cruise. And like Brad said, you know what? You know, it doesn't it doesn't cost you any money to subscribe, to follow, to to become a fan, to watch it. And if you do want to support uh, comedians or Christians, we're in 501c3. Why don't you do that? Let's let's do that. Let's support our brothers and sisters in uh, in what they do. Uh, I do have a show every night on uh, Facebook Live called uh, Live with Naz, where you become the comedian every night at every weeknight at 8 30 p.m i would love for you to go watch it it's not on this fan page it's on my actual uh, personal page because the show is personal it's live with naz under comedian nazareth one and we'll see you tonight at 8 30 brad thank you again so much and god bless you brother hope we can work together very soon well absolutely we need to we need to get together and try to bring some normalcy back so god bless you brother thanks for having me and uh I'm sure we'll do it again someday. Send my love to Desiree, your wife, and your kids and your family. God bless you. Got it, brother. He does in spite of myself. Amen. (laughs) Bye.